0: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration.
1: This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
0: The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world?
1: How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts?
0: Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna. and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery, Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and Angie and I today are so excited to welcome Amanda Ryan Romo, who is a professor at the East Los Angeles College, and get this, in the English department, but wait for it. This interview is going to fascinate you. It When we heard her story and she reached out to us, we were like, instantly, we are going to have her on the podcast we're going to have an amazing discussion today about how conservation, learning about endangered species is inspiring the next generation. So Amanda, welcome.
0: Thank you.
2: I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah. And then Angie, are you there? I
2: am here. Yes. It's so great to be dorking out all about animals and education today. That's, that's, that's what we love. That's what we do. And as Chris mentioned, just to reinforce it, When Amanda reached out to us and shared with us her story, I quickly emailed Chris back and I'm like, I don't know if she'll do it, but we've got to get her on the podcast because because not only is she inspiring the next generation of conservationists and animal lovers, but also being a fellow professor, I was like, you know, I bet there's a lot of like teachers and professors out there or even parents uh, that want to hear some of what we're doing and how our podcast is being infused into the classroom to make really fun and engaging activities. Because whether you're a parent or a teacher, or maybe you're a younger person listening to this podcast, we all know that in this day and age, nobody really has a long attention span and it's probably because of our cell phones and just everything being so bright and shiny and stuff like that. And so as educators, we're always trained to make sure that we're engaging the students and keeping things new and fun. But for anybody that's taken a, let me just for my speak for my own self, a history class, although Chris is a history buff or a, a class that maybe didn't necessarily always get their juices flowing or get them all excited, it can be really hard to stay engaged. And if you can't stay engaged, then you're not going to want to keep learning more. And so Amanda, our awesome guest today, has kind of figured out a hack to that. So before we dive into all the details, Amanda, can you give our listeners a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up and why did you choose teaching as a profession?
0: Thanks, Angie. Um, I'm a native of Los Angeles. I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley area um, up near the mountains. And so nature's always been part of my, my life. My dad used to take us and, you know, go fishing and camping and things like that. Um, And so that that's always influenced me. And I've wanted to be a teacher my entire life. Apparently when I was five, I told my mom I wanted to be a college professor. And so um, I, I've worked my way up there. Um, I have a background in English and in education and I am an armchair scientist and I really love science. And, um, I really, a number of years ago discovered a passion for teaching about climate change and, and engaging young adults in this.
1: So what really, I mean, I Growing up in California too, like when you were talking about that, it brought back memories of my own childhood, you know, running around Southern California, the woods, getting up to Big Bear and, and the mountains around there. But what really, you talk about climate change as an English teacher or professor, what turned for you where you were like, okay, I really want to learn more and I, and, and I really want to, to dive deeper into this topic?
0: So part of it is that I have a couple of kids and I look at my 14 year old and 11 year old, and I wonder what is the world going to be like for them in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years? Um, what are the things they're going to experience and go through? Um, but I, more than that, it, it's something that has always interested in, interested me. And I remember being taught about it in, high school, but not with a lot of depth or knowledge. And it was something that I always wanted to learn more about. Okay, so one of the influences was Jurassic Park, which has long been one of my favorite books. I own three or four paper copies of it because I I forget that I have a copy and I pick, pick up a used copy someplace. Um, and I have copies that are full of notes and I've taught, I've taught Jurassic park a number of times um, as, as a way of engaging students in the idea that um, the planet's going to do something. The planet is still going to be here, but are we going to be part of it? You know, what are we doing to the planet and, and is it going to allow us to survive? And so that's, that book really influenced the way I have approached this topic and kind of my interest in science. Um, and my interest in, I am really interested in looking at this sort of the extinction process. And I, I include a, a section on that in my class. And so that that's been one of the big influences is Jurassic Park, um, and Crichton and his message.
2: And now Amanda, as an English instructor, and I'm obviously having this love for Jurassic World, which is amazing because my little boys right now are so into Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Uh, that's actually gifts I just got for my five year old were was a Indominus Rex and a Mosasaurus. So my husband just sent me a picture of him hugging his Mosasaurus dinosaur. And so you have all these interests, and you're an English professor. How do you start to notice that your students enjoy, or how do you get them talking about climate change and the environment? Where does the change occur? About 10 years ago, so
0: first, um, as an English instructor, when you're teaching freshman composition or you're teaching argumentative writing, you have a lot of freedom in terms of the material that you can use for teaching writing, the material that you can share with students and have them look at for, for learning all of these different skills, you know, writing and communication skills. And so about 10 years ago, I was uh, teaching a course and I was using a reader. So a collection of um, chapters with different themes that had articles and short stories in them. And one of them was on climate change. And I thought, okay, I'm going to use this chapter. I'm going to have students write about this this should be really interesting because these are young adults. They should have grown up with this. They, they may be able to teach me. And I was really looking forward to the lesson and sort of a couple of weeks of discussion and writing about this. And then I got into it and I discovered that their knowledge base had some pretty serious gaps in it. Um, and that disturbed me Pretty deeply, uh, the I remember that the reader, I think the theme was sort of consumerism and the environment and climate change, and students just did not know very much about climate change at all, and I thought, wow, this is this is this huge gap. How how have these young adults come out of high school and they're they're not getting any of this and Shouldn't we be discussing this? And it was from there that I started developing my courses around climate change and having students, you know, talk about it as an issue and look at it as something they would have to deal with, you know, in the future. Um, That was 10 years ago. They should have been dealing with it it then. Um, But it was that approach or that assignment that that made me think I need to do something with this.
1: And so with them doing that assignment, what surprised you about what they came back with? You know, cause I can imagine, you know, something they don't know a lot about, but one of the things I really enjoyed when I was a professor was giving assignments like that. And I got to learn a lot, you know, when they turned in, all these different topics around, you know, animals and everything. So what really surprised you about that assignment when they came back with it?
0: I discovered very quickly in the discussion that they didn't know enough to deal with the texts. So, and I don't recall what the texts were, but what I realized was the texts assumed, the readings that I had assumed a base of knowledge that the students simply did not have. They they couldn't define climate change. They couldn't explain global warming. And I, I really truly thought that these were things they would have gotten in their high school science classes. And that semester, that assignment was was awful. It didn't go over very well. I, I don't remember what I ended up having to do with it. I, I think I may have I may have made it one of those like drop the worst grade type of assignments because um, they just didn't know enough to be able to write for the class about it. They, they weren't able to deal with the issue in, a, in um, ways that I expected them to be able to. And what it drove me to do was to start looking at, well, if they don't know anything, and I want to talk about this, how do I first inform them? And now all of my classes start with a unit on what is climate change and what is, you know, what is the state of the planet right now? And there are wonderful, wonderful resources out there to use. But I have found that even 10 years, 10 years have passed since I did that. And I still have to start with what I feel are kind of basics that students, I feel like they should know this. And they don't. And so I start with those basics with, let's get oriented in what is what is climate change? What is conservation? What is global warming? They have to define and look things up. They have to watch TED Talks on it and things like that um, to really orient them in, this is what we're going to be looking at for the rest of the term.
1: Politics aside, Amanda, because you know, we're, we're both Californians and it's known as a progressive state. And, you know, you would think science education would be more progressive in California. So is that something that you're finding in, in, because my kids are too young and obviously I'm in New Zealand now, but with the California education system, not teaching as much science as they used to, or I would, you were right. I mean, I would think this would be a, a hot topic.
0: I would think it would be a hot topic too, but having had an eighth grader go through and looking at the science she's gotten for the last several years, it is taught in a very shallow way. It's it's not dealt with. And I don't know if it's because teachers don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, I'm kind of assuming that that may be part of it, or teachers don't know how to, to address it with young adults and talk realistically about the future and making changes. But if I'm looking at my, she's now a ninth grader, and I'm looking ahead at her, her science for the year, the emphasis is not strong. And it, it's dealt with in a way of, well, if everybody recycles, if you can get your family to buy an electric car, and it's still very sort of individually driven, and it doesn't look at at the big picture and it doesn't seem to look at big business or anything like that. Um, It just, I feel like there's something being missed out there for young adults.
2: Well, Amanda, I would definitely have to agree with you on that. Um, I teach at the college level as well and I'm lucky enough to teach ecology and animal behavior. And so I really get to dive into these topics and I do, and I'm still young in my, teaching career to the fact where I'm developing assignments and trying to figure out what works and what's a flop. And for those of you listening are like, what do you mean teachers have fl- assignments that are flops? Absolutely. <laughs> and a lot of it's like knowing, okay, that didn't go over well. Let me let me start again and try something new. And so
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I too have found that the, the student's Do not know uh, enough about conservation or endangered species or the food chain, if you will, uh, or food web—I like to call it. Um, Or the—I have students that don't even know about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, Uh, and just if you were thinking about recycling and plastic, I would think that's a, a message. Like, like show them the garbage patch that circulates off the coast of Hawaii. And then start talking about why we should, we should recycle, right? Like grab their attention. Um, so I don't, and here in Florida, that's where I'm teaching. I, I too don't know where the lack is, but I am definitely resigned, at least for my students to come across my desk and spend, I spend time with them. I want to make the most positive impact to change that and help their education because you can't love something or want to work towards something if you don't know about it, right? Which leads me to ask, how did you come up with some of the more successful assignments, such as listening to Animal podcasts?
0: Well, let me start by telling you what didn't work.
2: Yes, please.
0: Just in case any teachers are thinking about this and go in some of these directions. The, the first time I tried a course where I was sort of focused on climate change, I looked at consumerism and Annie Leonard's, The Story of Stuff, which is amazing. It did not go over well with students. I think because they're young adults and they're, they were not very aware of their own buying power or they were young adults and really their parents were still responsible for their buying power. And so that, that didn't go over well. The, the next one that I tried was food systems. And that was an absolute flop as well. Um, students were openly hostile when you suggested that, or when the science suggested, they were reading articles about this that suggested that maybe you should cut down on your red meat consumption. Maybe your $1.99 burger is not the best choice for the environment. That that actually led to some hostility in the classroom. That That one did not work either. So then... Jurassic World came out, and I've been following the de-extinction movement for, since 2009, 2008. And so Jurassic World came out, and students just love this, and I thought, I can look at it this way. Let's look at de-extinction and climate change. Let's look at bringing back woolly mammoths. And should we bring these animals back and how is this technology going to work? So I initially started with that as an emphasis, but I realized that there were still gaps in their understanding about conservation. So then we have to, you know, I expanded. And I was like, okay, so let's look at animal conservation in general, and we'll bring the de-extinction in and talk about can the extinction support animal conservation or not? And then from there, it's kind of grown. And I do a number of different topics. I change it up every semester under this kind of general theme of animal conservation and climate change. So I, there are a number of things that I go through. And when I made the connection with animals, students just loved it they loved the idea of talking about bringing back woolly mammoths. And then they loved the idea of looking at California condors and can we use de-extinction technology to support their biodiversity? And that was where the spark really started. And I I started thinking, okay, well, they love animals. I need to get more resources on that. And that led to integrating podcasts and Instagram feeds and Twitter accounts sort of much more social media. And that's been the really successful thing.
1: That's it's, it's, it's amazing. That's why I think Angie and I just had the biggest smiles reading your email was as educators to know that we could be a part of that, that your inspiration for the last decade, and then you finally found our podcast, Animals to the Max, probably a few others, and and started integrating that into the classroom. It's funny because Angie and I were talking. I did a project back at the University of Florida and I called it wild discoveries. And I I feel you doing assignments that fail. (laughs) And you're like, right. You, you're so frustrated. It took you hours to come up with this and you employ it in your classrooms and it's a massive failure. But it's, it's 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 a good learning process for us as educators, right? So it's like, you know, okay, that didn't work, but this might, and, and we try things and new things and until you find that gold. Well, really quickly, because we wanted to talk about this project with you and, and with Angie to, uh, to jump in. My whole thing was with, with Angie being the animal behaviorist, she's the one that really got me into studying more animal behavior from a scientific perspective. And I created this course and I actually got some NSF funding for it where I took students who weren't science literate like you, and I used animal behavior as the tool to teach them science. So they had to go and do a research project, come up with a hypothesis, use webcams. We set up webcams at... Santa Fe College teaching zoo that Angie's husband runs. I set up webcams in some horse paddocks or or, uh, pastures. And then we also used wildlife cams from Africa and zoos. And I had my students study behavior and they were fascinated. They just, they fell in love with it, right? So is that what you're finding too? It's, It's when you use animals like this, as a teaching tool that your students, like you said, light up. Are there any other advice or tips you can give to other educators?
0: Engaging with animals is really, it is the key. It it definitely is the key. They light up. I use a lot of visual imagery in the course. They, they see pictures. And I found that it, it absolutely makes a difference when we talk about deforestation to say, you know, when we have deforestation, these are the animals that are affected. And you show a picture of a panther or a tamarind or a sloth or an otter, and they they see that, and they really connect with those animals, and they they realize it's their decisions sometimes are are impacting the animals. So if I talk about food systems and deforestation and factory farming and we and which had was a total bust until i added in this idea of and here are the animals whose homes are now destroyed that's what really engaged them in in this one of the things i think about was i grew up watching steve irwin and steve irwin always talked about Getting people to love the animal. You know, he was driven to get people to love crocodiles so that he could save crocodiles by anthropomorphizing them and giving them names and all of that. And it was really effective. And I think that is such a powerful tool. And I know anthropomorphizing is highly debated. I've listened to several podcasts on it, but it really engages students when they can look at the animals and when they can see the impact on like this tiny little cotton top tamarinds had its home destroyed because of deforestation. It's really hard to see those images and to just turn your back on that. It's a very powerful tool.
2: Well, yes, Amanda, uh, all my years at the zoo when I was working with kids and I would, I was lucky enough to either have an, a boa constrictor in my hand, or a bunny, um, or I got to work in the goat yard. It's so easy to see kids' faces light up, and they start asking questions, and they come out of their shells. And I just am a true believer that you're not going to want to save something unless you love it or understand understand it more. And that's what encouraged Chris and I to do this podcast, right? Like we want to cover all the creatures. So we have about I don't know, Chris, what like forty-seven a
1: few billion to go. Forty
2: seven hundred more <laughs> if we're just talking mammals. Yes. Uh, a lot. We have a lot more to go. But we wanted to give them each identity and 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 let people get to know them, but also broadcast this free education internationally, right? Uh, so anybody can listen to it and access it and it's free and and get them excited. And some people are going to be excited about zebras. That's me. And some are going to be excited about crocodiles, like you mentioned. So it's just putting all that out there to to hopefully just if if one podcast resonates with one person, I mean, Chris and I have done our jobs. Uh, but then you reach out to us and tell us about using our podcast and some of your uh, assignments that had really incredible feedback. And so Since I'm still a young educator, I'm wondering what was the assignment uh, and how do you think it helped them? I use podcasts
0: every week in the course. So, whether it's a 15 week course or an eight week course, uh, they get assigned, students get assigned podcasts every week, um, one or two of them. And I use them in different ways. So, you know, I'm teaching students how to write that that's the primary aim of the class is to teach them how to communicate with words. So I've done assignments where they have to listen to a podcast. And then because one of the things I'm interested in is how can social media help conservation. So they'll listen to a podcast, and then they have to produce a an Instagram post on it, complete with a picture. They don't they don't post it on Instagram, but they they share it with the class, you know. When we talk about communicating, and can that communication um, help conservation? Is that is that really helping conservation to get get the information out there? Um, students have asked me to dive into TikTok, but I don't I don't really know anything about TikTok, so we'll see. But so I do I that I do that kind of assignment, and then I do where we look at technology and um, conservation and biodiversity. And we've done the black-footed ferret. And it was really amazing this last year because they just cloned a ferret. And we looked at, you know, they listened to podcasts about the black-footed ferret that were a little older. And then we look at this, these new articles and this new news on how the technology is being used. And they write about, is this technology, is this going to help? Is this going to be, and is this an ethical use of this technology? So they get knowledge from the podcasts, and sometimes they, you know, they have to do something very direct with the knowledge, um, like writing the Instagram post, or they use it to sort of speculate in other argumentative ways. Um, so I use it, I use it in a lot of, I use the podcasts in a lot of different ways. This Coming semester, I've decided I'm going to do wolves. We're going to look at wolves. I think the issue with wolves is really critical and really important. And it's something they can act on pretty much immediately. It's something they can make an impact on. So, listening to the podcasts about wolves, reading some articles, looking at, at that little film on how the wolves changed Yellowstone, and then talking about how do you advocate for wolves? Look at all of this information and how do you advocate? And I think I'm gonna have them write an advocacy letter and I can't require them to send it, but I'm gonna encourage them to send it. Um, so those are the the ways that I use the podcast and students really engage with them. They they like them. Um, I've, I'm sure I've gotten both you and Corbin Maxi, some dedicated listeners, because they tell me how much they enjoy them. I did realize though, I have to teach them how to listen to podcasts. It's not, especially when they're listening for information, it's one thing to listen for entertainment, but when they're listening for information, it's a skill that they have to learn but they always enjoy it. And most of them tell me that they go on to listen to more than what I've assigned. They find something else on the website or they subscribe to that in their feed, their podcast feed, and they listen to more of them. So I think podcasts are a really great way to engage them.
1: It's it's a great observation. I, I want to ask you, so our, our listeners understand, and, and again, we have... a a wide range of of listeners around the world. But, you know, many aren't involved in conservation directly, but they want to do things or help, you know, citizen science, things like that. Can you describe your population of students, their backgrounds, their majors? Because these are not science majors, right? These are from a wide range of, of interests.
0: Correct. So East Los Angeles College is in East Los Angeles, And we have a predominantly Hispanic population, um, a lot of lower income students, disadvantaged students, and I'm teaching a gen ed course that they're they're required to take. They're required to take freshman composition. They're required to take argument writing. And so these students are, they're every background that you can get. I do get some science majors because I advertise the class. I do get some science majors, but I've had accounting majors, econ majors, psychology, sociology, you know, the whole gamut that runs the school. Um, and so I'm reaching a very broad audience, a very broad population when I do this course and it's regardless of their major, they all find something in this. They, they, they gravitate towards something. I can usually tell, when they found the animal that makes it click for them. It's, it's kind of a neat thing because in their discussions, they'll suddenly be more engaged and they'll have something to say about it. And maybe the zebras didn't do it, but the forest elephants did, you know? So I think everybody has an animal that they're going to gravitate towards and love. And it's finding that, and sort of getting that, that click is, is what does it. It really helps them to, to connect with the bigger issues.
2: And now, Amanda, when students leave your class and go on to do other things, whatever their major might be, have you had any students come back to you and say, I love this, I, I want to be a conservationist now, or I want to learn more about animals, or what's, what's really been some of the feedback that you've received?
0: I have been incredibly lucky to have one or two students every semester since I sort of shifted to this focus who have done something with it or because of it. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, I had a student a few years ago, I think it may have been the first semester that I started assigning podcasts. He didn't know where anything was. So you're talking about Kenya, we're talking about Patagonia, we're talking about all of these different places. He didn't, he said he didn't know where any of those places were. So he ended up getting a map and making essentially a pin map of all of the places that were talked about in these podcasts. And then he switched majors to be a geography major. It was really cool. And so there was, there was that one. I had another one a couple of semesters ago who was an econ major and she became i I think i did something on palm oil plantations and we looked at orangutans she was originally from thailand and she started looking at this and looking at sort of the effects in her home country and ended up deciding to dual major in economics and environmental science and went on to be accepted into a program at berkeley that i Sort of combines those two, I think. I don't know much about the program. I just got
2: goosebumps. I mean, that is incredible.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. She's actually stayed in touch with me. She is, she's such a dynamic young woman. And I think she is, she's going places and she wants to make a difference in the world. So that's that. It gives me goosebumps too to think like my little class had an effect on something. Yeah. And then um, I think I told you I in my email, I told you I had a young man last semester who was an accounting major. And his real interest was, where does the money from conservation? Where does it come from? Where does it go? How can we how could he help some of the grassroots organizations? He says, I bet there are grassroots organizations who don't know how to manage their money. I want to help those organizations. That's what I want to do in accounting. I want to look at those and provide support for those areas. He has, I hope these plans work out. He had some big plans. He was talking about setting up his own, you know, once he got through his degree, he was thinking, you know, I could have a practice and I could do pro bono work for, for these organizations and, and things like that. And so he was really engaged in how can I make the money better? How can I help support the money aspect of it? Because that was, that was really, you know, what he was interested in. But that too, was something it, it clicked for him in listening to, I'm not even sure which interview it was, but talking about I think the impact of COVID and the loss of money for some of these organizations and he says there's got to be something I can do to help here. So I've I've had every semester a, a couple of students that clips clicks for everyone but I've had a couple of students who have truly engaged and that just makes my I mean that that that's you know the icing on the cake for the course is when a student's like, this has had such an impact on me that I'm going to do X X Y or Z.
2: Well, and I think for people that listen to podcasts on a regular basis, aka our listeners that are listening now and uh, yourself, and w- we all have had that aha moment, whether we're listening to a TED Talk or just a podcast that we have interest in. I think my first podcast I listened to was Serial, right? that That, that hit charts like, six or seven years ago. And my husband and I were driving somewhere and I wanted to keep driving. We've been in the car for like four hours listening to this podcast. And I wanted to keep driving. We got to my mom's house, but I was like, let's, let's just let's go a little further south on i-75 so i can keep listening to this podcast and but that was my aha moment of like wow i can actually listen to things that i like instead of just the radio or I mean i mean i love 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 music but in some ways i it's fun to get your uh, have a, a, your brain tickled in a different way right besides music and so i just started consuming a lot of podcasts and then lo and behold several years later Chris came up with me with Chris came up to me with this genius of an idea. And so I, I just don't know how often teachers, whether it's the college level like ourselves or high school or, or grade or elementary, how often they're using podcasts. And I didn't know if some of your colleagues – use podcasts in their classes? Or I just, I want to get this information out there, uh, especially as an instructor myself. So I didn't know your opinion on that, of how how we can get more of this out there, more of these assignments out there. I think we need to get
0: more of this out there. I think instructors, so for one, students learn in, you know, different ways. And So that's why I engage them with podcasts and Ted talks and Instagram and articles and short stories because they consume information. Young adults in particular consume information in different ways. And you've got to find those ways to connect with them and telling them that they can put it on their phone and listen to it and gain information is something that's, Many of them have not thought of. I have had podcast listeners in my classes in the past, but um, a lot of them it's it's new. But they learn that there are, there are all of these different podcasts out there. I encourage them to explore and find other ones, and I think it's a great way to engage them. That's different from what we normally get in in college classrooms. It's it's new and it it's just different enough that then students really like it. And I, I'm hoping that more instructors will start to use podcasts and use some of these other forms of social media to connect better with students.
2: Well, I hope so too, Amanda, and you reaching out to us actually really has inspired me as an instructor and thinking, okay, how can, how can we learn more about podcasts in a classroom? And so I'm going to hopefully start collecting data this semester just to survey my students to see if they like the assignment, how to improve the assignment, what they got out of the assignment before and after type surveys. And then Chris and I always talk on the podcast how we're very data-driven. We love numbers and statistics, and that's what helps guide the backbone of our podcast, right? And so I want to gather data for a couple semesters and just see how it's going. I mean, are the students really... Engaging in it and do how does it help connect them more to conservation issues and want to learn more and also potentially even help more and so that's one of the things I'm going to try to do because then if I can have some data and it, and maybe maybe I'll find that it doesn't or it's, uh, there's not a statistical significance but I'm hoping to maybe present that at a t- science or an education conference to help. Maybe inspire other educators to thus inspire their classroom and other students. So that's one way I'm thinking of doing it personally. Um, and then I was thinking of maybe getting on some social media sites for educators to maybe share some of these assignments um, and pick people's brains about and to pick other instructors' brains about what they're doing in the classroom to help engage students. Because as you mentioned, there are so many different types of learners out there, and I think they From what Chris and I have always talked about is uh, they do better like with 10-minute blurbs or interactives. Chris was known throughout um, our university for flipping the classroom and doing a lot more hands-on activities instead of the the traditional lecture, right, that makes some people fall asleep. If they're not really into the subject, let's be honest. So I'm just hoping that we move in the the future. I'm just hoping in the future we move
1: more in this direction. No, it's true Angie. I just want to jump in there too. Cuz I was thinking about that when when Amanda was talking. I was like, "Yes, yes, yes. It was one of the things I was known for at UF was the 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 old approach to education needs to go to the, with this generation. You know, the old lecture for an hour, it it, it it's just not connecting to younger students anymore." they have social media, we have podcasts, we have YouTube. The information age has changed the landscape in education. So I think what really excites me about what you're doing, Amanda, is it is so forward looking and looking to use new tools and different tools in the classroom. So bravo on that. I'm like, I'm not your biggest fan. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> now, my question is, because this gives me a lot of hope too. when these students leave you, do you feel hopeful? Like not only did you know, obviously teach them what you were tasked with that, that semester, but hopeful for the future of the planet, because I do see a lot of hope in this generation, this younger generation up and coming.
0: I do feel hopeful. I feel like if I've opened their eyes, just enough that they will continue to be opened by other sources that they will. And because I'm really heavily emphasizing advocacy and communicating about advocacy, I'm hoping that that message sinks in and they start to do it in different ways. Um, Whether, whether it's the really big way of changing their major and, doing something brand new, or it's talking to their friends and family about climate change and about issues facing the planet because they've learned about this. And I've had students tell me like that when one, one young woman told me that she thought her husband was probably sick of my class because all she did was talk about it <laughs> and, <laughs> and the things she was listening, awesome. <laughs> the things that she was learning and, and how she wanted to change their lifestyle and really, you know, reconsider like their, their carbon footprint and, and things like that. And so if I can get them to open their eyes a little bit and start talking about this, then I, I, I feel hopeful usually at the end of the classes, when I read their final reflections and they talk to me about how the class has impacted them, I feel like, okay, I've, I've done something
2: that's going to help the future. And it, it does feel good. Well, Amanda, we're going to definitely have to stay in touch because, like I said, I might have you start reviewing some of my assignments to help give me the cliff notes on what works <laughs> and what doesn't, because that would be very helpful. And, and at the end of the day, as you mentioned, it is all about the students and getting them excited and getting them inspired. And I've always said that you, just, you never know who's going to be the next Jane Goodall. And therefore, if I can just teach one little kid or one adult or whoever to love and want to conserve a species, you know, then I've, I've done my part, uh, but now with this podcast, I'm getting a little bit greedy, and I'm like, okay, now I want to I want to inspire two people or 20 people or <laughs> m- <laughs> yes. more of them, uh, just because we well we need that, right? This generation needs it, um, and I I always somewhat feel bad for the younger generation of like the whole world rests on their shoulders of this mess that my generation and my and my foref- forefathers have left for them, and it shouldn't be like that. It needs to be it should be a group assignment, right? Not just uh individual. Project over here. and so I, I'm very hopeful when I when I see their eyes light up and when we can find ins- assignments like this to help engage them or when they find podcasts that they love. Uh, but in the same instance, I hope to inspire our generation too, whether we're teachers or scientists or firefighters or or farmers or just anybody out there, that you don't necessarily have to be a conservation biologist to practice conservation and to help animals or help make an impact on saving the planet.
0: I, I totally agree. I think one of the benefits of teaching at East, East LA college, um, I get students of all ages. So, you know, I do get a lot of traditional freshmen but I, I have a lot of non-traditional students in my classes as well and so having someone someone who's my age who's coming into it who's you know heading towards the middle of their life and looking at this and learning something new I get those as well and I think that that then they start talking to their kids to their parents to you know whoever it is um, to sort of spread the message. And I think that that's a really exciting
2: thing. It is. I, I love my mature students. I was a mature student, right, Chris, <laughs> when I came to you. to yes. What? You're still not uh, mature. Yeah. Thank you. It I appreciate amazing. that. But no, amazing. I, amazing. It, uh, but no, it is, it is really nice at the college level. I teach at as well to have, um, all different students with all different backgrounds. And I, and it just really uh, helps me feel that I am making a difference in to so many people's lives.
1: Yeah. Just final question, Amanda, let you go. What's the future of this assignment? Where, where do you see it going?
0: I change it up every semester. So this coming semester um, I'm going to do an emphasis on wolves. We're going to look at wolf conservation. The other podcast that you did recently was with Dr. Paula Kahumbu. And I loved that one. I thought that was just amazing. And so one of the things I want to look at is she talked about showing the Kenyans doing conservation. So one of the things I want to talk about with my students is where are the young adults who look like them doing conservation? How do we find them? How do we highlight them? How do we become them? how do we show the Latin X person in Los Angeles who is working in animal conservation is, is where do we see those young adults? And I, I think that's one of the things that I want to really look more closely at is getting, how do we get students who look or, or conservationists who look like my students? How do we, how do we highlight them and find them? Because I know they're out there, but it's, shockingly hard to find those young adults and I I want to look more closely at that as an issue
1: yeah Angie you just Angie highlighted a group in our I think it was our great hammerhead episode mm-hmm. the, yeah I'm gonna
2: the, get them on the podcast it's the, the minorities the, and shark mm-hmm, it's called miss it's minorities and shark science so that's
0: that's what I really want to bring to the forefront is is that idea of finding those minority groups mm-hmm.
1: I think we'll just leave it there today, man. I, I want to check back with you after this semester and see, I mean, obviously we'll be in touch, share notes. I know Angie will be in touch with you, you know, to use some things in her teaching. I would just say for the listeners out there, if you're interested in any of this, please contact us, allcreaturespod at gmail.com. Uh, we will help you. You know, I, I we don't want to overwhelm Amanda or anything like that, but if you need ideas, uh, implementing strategies in the classrooms to get your students excited about animals and animal conservation always reach out to us you know angie will share her insights uh, my insights like i said that wild discoveries project we can always reach back out to amanda and ask questions if you're interested but amanda thank you so much for reaching out to us like honestly it, it it made our day it's made our month and just talking to you it just I'm so I'm like just so lit up so thank you
0: well thank you for having me I've really enjoyed this
2: thank you Amanda